I hope you're all doing well, and I mean that sincerely, right? I almost didn't want to get out of bed this morning. It's a little darker, right? Today was a little darker. The world is a little bit darker, it seems, lately. And, um, and, I, and I mean that. And it's, there's, there's a lot of bad things happening. I woke up mid, midnight, I don't know, it's probably 4 a.m., and CNN was on, and a father was, an Israeli father was talking about how he smiled um, when he learned that his daughter had died. And he smiled because the atrocities, the, the alternatives of what could have happened um, were so far worse. And, and, and then I was reminded of the ongoing war in Ukraine. It, it makes our local politics and our national politics, which is also in a, in, in a just a, a free fall, it makes them seem unimportant, Right. You have people dying around the world, but I don't. I just want to say, education, in my opinion, and City Club does not prescribe solutions, but I do believe with all of this going on in our city, in our country, and in the world, I believe education is the only way out of it. And I. I'm just doing a little part here on behalf of our board to set the stage for all of you who are doing all these great, great things. Um, and so I really mean that, that I appreciate, we all appreciate you being here and, um, and appreciate that you're taking your time out of your day to hopefully come up with some solutions and make things just a tiny bit better. And, and then see that multiply, right? Because you're doing that. And, and education is, is changing the future for our future generations. So I, uh, enough from me. I do um, want to welcome also uh, to introduce our panel and our panelists. Um, she is the... the um, oh, <laughs> sorry. I lost my notes here. Deputy Director and the Director of Policy uh, for Advance Illinois, who, as I mentioned, was our great partner here. Um, prior to joining Advance Illinois, uh, and this is Ann Whalen, um, prior to joining Advance Illinois, Ann was the Associate Chief of Academics at Denver Public Schools and served under U.S. Education and City Club Speaker Secretary Arnie Duncan as the Acting Assistant Secretary in the Office of Elementary and Secondary Education. She knows a thing or two about educating our kids. Um, please welcome to kick us off and, and start this important discussion, Ann Whalen. Thank you, Ann. Thank you, Dan. Appreciate the introduction, and thank you. Good afternoon, everybody. Um, for those of you who don't know me, again, as Dan mentioned, I'm Ann Whalen. I am the Director of Policy at Advance Illinois, and Advance Illinois is an independent, bipartisan advocacy and policy organization focused on creating a healthy education system for Illinois, birth through post-secondary. Um, and I'm afraid our president, Robin Staines, lived a little too much into the theme of today's report around p the pandemic and actually caught COVID-19 this week, so is unable to join us. Um, but I will do my best to bring her energy and her passion, but we all know there's only one Robin Staines, so I ask for your patience and your grace this afternoon. 
Um, so again, I'm excited to be here in conversation with you today on such an important topic as the educator pipeline in Illinois. Um, but before I go any further, I do just want to offer a thank you to the City Club for hosting the event. Thank you all again so much for your partnership. So it's great to be back here in City Club. Um, we were just talking. We were here last year at this time um, looking at and releasing the state we're in 2022, part of an ongoing series of reports that our state education system from birth through post-secondary. The report examined the early impacts of COVID-19 pandemic on Illinois children, families, and students. Last year's analysis and discussion at City Club spurred many questions, particularly on the effects of COVID-19 on the educated workforce. One year later, we're excited to bring a report back to this space and address this very topic. We're here because we know that educators matter for students. The research is clear. It shows that having a well-prepared, effective, and racially diverse teachers and leaders in every school makes a real difference for student outcomes. To create a diverse, healthy educator workforce, it's vital that we not focus on just one part of the system. Instead, we must address the breadth of what we call the full educator pipeline. The pipeline starts with our pre-K through 12 students, goes through post-secondary enrollment, enrollment in educator prep programs, and also considers hiring, retention, and growth of new and veteran educators. In pulling together the information for this report, and a huge shout out and thank you for ISBE for all your help for all that data. Uh, yeah. We did find that the data for each of the items don't live in one place. They live in a bunch of different systems. Um, and ISBE helped wrangle them for us and appreciate all of that. Um, but here we do our best to pull it together in one comprehensive look. This report examines the state of our educator pipeline over the last five to ten years with a particular focus on the context surrounding and the impact of the pandemic. Throughout, we focus on different types of educators, from teachers to paraprofessionals to principals, the diversity of our teacher and leader workforce, and the opportunities and challenges at each step of the pipeline. Before jumping into the data, I would like to acknowledge our wonderful advisory council, a group of experts from across the state and nation who supported our analysis and the development of our findings, without whom this report would not be possible. I would also like to thank the Advanced Illinois Board, staff, and Educator Advisory Council who spent countless hours analyzing data, writing, reviewing, and informing this report. Many of these groups are here today. Can you please stand or raise your hand so we can acknowledge you and all your support, please? So if you've ever been to an Advanced Illinois program before, you know we love our data. Um, and because this is a lot of information, and I'm going to go through it very quickly, not as quickly as Robin, but quickly, um, we know the screen up here may be hard for those in the back to see. So we're going to go, as we go through the presentation, I will note page numbers in the full report. You all have it on your chair. You have the full report and the executive summary. I encourage you to follow along as we go. Take the report with you, take a few with you, hand it out as party flavors, um, dig into that data. Um, when you have time, I promise you, it's a great conversation starter at your next dinner party. Promise. Okay, so we're going to start with the educator supply and demand. So for those of you who are following along, I'm starting on page 10 of the report. I know this will defy many of your pre preconceived notions coming here today. But over the last five years, Illinois has been growing its teacher workforce into and through the pandemic. 
Historically, we saw a drop in the numbers of teachers in the state following the Great Recession, but our turnaround began in the 2018 school year, and today the teacher workforce is close to the size it was in 2009. Because we've also been seeing declining student enrollment over the same period, this means our student-to-teacher ratios are getting smaller allowing schools to decrease average class sizes. This is especially true in the elementary grades where research suggests those smaller ratios really matter for kids. Growth in the workforce extends beyond teachers. Since 2018, Illinois schools have also employed an increasing number of paraprofessionals, assistant principals, and seen the number of principals stay relatively steady. So how are we recruiting our teacher candidates to fill these roles? On page 13, you'll see that over the past decade, Illinois teacher preparation programs have seen a large drop in the number of teacher candidates produced, but in recent years, starting in the 2019 school year, the number has begun to turn around, with programs seeing growth in both enrollment and completion, going into the first and through the first years of the pandemic. So for those of you in the way back, Illinois is up 16% compared to the nation, which is 6%. I will note that the top line numbers give us a sense of the system at a high level, but in reality, program needs to be producing candidates in certain subjects, areas to meet actual demand. This doesn't always occur. Within the full report, you could explore more about other ways the state is growing teacher supply and how supply and demand do or do not match up with certain areas. Okay, moving along to page 18. In recent years, we've also generally been seeing growth in the number of principal preparation program completers. The red bar here, so that's the program completers, which has helped grow the overall number of teachers in the state who are credentialed to become principals. That's the orange and red bars together. And this means statewide we have enough teachers fill every new open principal and assistant principal role, um, as represented by the blue and navy bar. However, when you break this down further, we see there's a great deal of variation across districts. Almost half of the districts across the state do not have a current teacher with a principal credential. The story looks a little bit different for paraprofessionals. I'm on page 20 for those of you following along. The number of newly licensed paraprofessionals has decreased, while demand has increased, leading to a significant mismatch and ultimately shortage, which we'll discuss more in a minute. Well, I think you've seen, what I think you've seen here, and you'll see in the report, is that this topic, this question of how is our workforce doing, do we have supply to meet demand, is complex, with trends and challenges varying from position to position. So we're going to turn next to the educator retention, starting on page 23. We've consistently heard very well-founded concerns that the pandemic has driven people out of the education profession. Our analysis actually shows that retention in the first two years of the pandemic was stable or even better than pre-pandemic data. Teachers, paraprofessionals, principals, and assistant principals were all more likely to remain in the profession in Illinois in the 21 school year, the first full school year since the start of the pandemic. Additionally, rates of attrition were still at pre-pandemic levels in the 22 school year. Whether this stability held in 23 school year, so the one that just finished, is yet to be seen. We'll find out when the state releases additional data later this month. Is B, we're on pins and needles. Can't wait, Maureen. Thank you. Um, the retention has been steady. Statewide survey data indicates the school climate in Illinois has significantly worsened since the start of the pandemic. And other states who have released data before Illinois have seen spikes in teachers leaving their schools or the profession in 23 school year. I'd also be remiss not to note that the data shows teacher attendance is down. 
meaning while teachers are retained and staying in the profession, they're not in school at the rate they were pre-pandemic. This has an impact on students and on how schools experience a shortage, which we'll get to next. So this brings us to the educator shortage. Okay, so disclaimer here. Changes in the data collection mean we can't fully know what impact the pandemic has had on the shortages. We do know that school districts continue to experience shortages in the 23 school year. And if you flip to page 33, you'll see some of that data on the following slides. So it's important to notice that this issue, while significant, is highly varied from place to place. As these maps here suggest, only certain districts in our state are affected. Overall, only half of the districts had any teacher vacancies in the 23 school year. The severity of the issue also varies by position. 5% of special education teaching positions, 3.9% of bilingual education positions went unfilled in the 23 school year, compared to 2.6% of all teaching positions. These numbers only cover a portion of the shortages, though. There are also many positions that are filled by individuals who are not fully credentialed to teach in those areas and may or may not have completed their teacher preparation program. While this is a relatively small number of teachers overall, in bilingual education, more than 16% of roles are filled by individuals who are, not, who are on a provisional license or short-term approval. In general, over the last five years, the number of available short-term and temporary licenses have increased significantly. We still have a lot to learn about their impact on the educator shortage and student outcomes. But we know that providing effective teachers in every classroom matters immensely for student success, which is why it's critical that we ensure all teachers are fully prepared to teach in their particular content area and support their students. Shortages also vary by non-teaching positions. Paraprofessional positions are most acute area of shortage is our most acute area of shortage, with 7.2% of the positions going unfilled in the 23 school year. I should also highlight that what this data doesn't capture is the extent to which the educator shortage are also being felt by hiring managers in the number of qualified applicants that they see for their positions. The more applicants the school has, the better chance they have of identifying a candidate who's a strong match for their school community. On page 34, you'll see these educator shortages don't impact all students equally either. We've already spoken to the challenges experienced in special education, bilingual education, that go on to affect students with IEPs and English learners. Additionally, students of color and students from low-income households are also much more likely than their peers to be in schools with high rates of unfilled teaching positions. Creating equity in our education system means addressing these shortages and targeting efforts to the particular places we see these challenges. Finally, we'll discuss diversity of our teacher and leader pipelines, flipping forward to page 38. Racial diversity of teachers and leaders makes a concerted difference for student outcomes. But as you can see on the bar on the right, Illinois teachers are predominantly white and don't even come close to matching the diversity of our students, the bar on the left. And when we add in and analyze data at every step of the pipeline, we see that there's not one challenge, but instead nearly at every step of the pipeline contributes to the loss in diversity, from enrollment in college all the way through teacher retention. Yet two areas where we see a particularly significant decrease in representation of potential future teachers of color is in the enrollment of teacher preparation programs and when already licensed candidates, so candidates who are through the licensing process, are hired then into Illinois schools. Looking back at the first area and moving to page 40 in the report, there's actually real progress being made. You can see from the orange line 
that the representation of black and Latinx candidates in educator prep program has increased significantly over the past five to ten years. However, as you can see from the blue or navy line, there's more work to do as representation of people of color in teacher preparation programs lag behind representation in our four-year colleges generally. Though there's much further detail you can go into in the report, I want to spotlight one other aspect of the pipeline, which is attrition from the teaching profession, highlighted on page 44. While attrition rates for teachers of color have been fairly stable through the pandemic, black teachers have consistently been more likely than their peers to leave the Illinois teacher workforce. Ensuring we're able to recruit, prepare, and retain teachers is vital to creating a more diverse workforce. Now, I won't go in depth here, but on page 46 of your report, you'll see a little more about diversity among our principals, a factor that impacts both the recruitment and retention of teachers of color. Illinois principals are more diverse than the teacher workforce, and in fact, unlike the teacher pipeline, diversity actually improves across some steps in the principal pipeline. While this is positive for the state, there's more work to do to continue to increase diversity of principals to better reflect the diversity of our students in our state. Okay, so after all of this information, I know everybody's wondering, well, what are we doing about all of this? I'm excited to get to our panel to talk more about this, but want to highlight that throughout the report, we've made an effort to describe some of the state-level programs and investments that have been made in recent years, often with federal stimulus funds, which in many cases addresses the very specific and targeted challenges we're seeing in the data. There's still a lot to learn about these investments, but many of them seem promising. Yet we know that ahead of us there will be new challenges as the tail of the pandemic continues to play out and federal stimulus funds expire next year. While this is not a policy document, and Robin would like make me say that 10 times if she was here, it is not a policy document. We just, um, just some light bedtime reading. Um, we've identified a few things the state can do moving forward. I, I know I'm short on time, so I'll just summarize that they include doubling down on data, research, and transparency, removing barriers to the profession by improving affordability and access, and investing in evidence-based practices like the K-12 EBF funding formula. Woohoo, EBF, 550. Okay. So we've just gone through a lot of data and information very quickly, but there is still more, if you can believe it. We encourage everyone to use a QR code or the URL on the back of your report to go onto our website and see even more data and visualizations. And next week, we'll be posting district-specific information. So if you're curious how this data plays out across the state and want to look at individual districts, you'll be able to go online and see it there. And with that, I would like to introduce our panel to talk more about what all this means for students, families, and educators, how the state and local leaders have been addressing some of the challenges highlighted, and what comes next for Illinois educator workforce. Okay, because our panel is familiar, familiar to everyone here, and in the interest of time, I'm going to be short on introductions, but encourage you all to go to your programs for more information on the panelists. First, graciously stepping in for Robin, and just out of the dentist chair, having received a root canal this morning, if you can believe it, is our moderator, Shane Evans. I know. He gets the board member of the year prize. Shane is the founder and president of the Academy Group and a member of the Board of Advance Illinois. Previously, Shane served as the Chief Executive Officer of the U University of Chicago Charter Schools and Managing Director of the University of Chicago Urban Education Institute. 
he will be joined on our panel. Um, we have first State Representative Carol Ammons. In Illinois General Assembly, Representative Ammons represents a 103rd district with an impressive record of service spanning 16 years across county, city, and state-level government. In the state legislature, her leadership extends to a remarkable nine legislative committees. Representative Ammons also co-led the efforts around the Illinois Black Caucus Education Pillar Bill in 2021. Thank you, Representative Ammons. Next, we have Dr. Kamako Patterson. Dr. Patterson is Chief of Staff for Illinois State Board of Education. She served as Superintendent of Prairie Hills Elementary School District 144 for 12 years and has been in the field of education for more than 25 years. Currently, she is the President of IASA South Cook and President of Superintendent's Commission for the Study of Demographics and Diversity. Welcome, Dr. Patterson. And finally, we have Brianna Morales. Brianna is the 2023 Illinois Teacher of the Year. She is a proud Latina and freedom fighter for students in alternative education, where she has spent her career loving and learning alongside students in East St. Louis, Illinois. Brianna was honored as a 2021 NCT Early Career Educator of Color. Welcome, Brianna. Okay, all right. Good afternoon, everybody. Good afternoon. Um, just to tell you how fierce Robin Staines is, like when she can't make a meeting, it takes at least two people to fill in for her. <laughs> okay, so this is, this is no easy task. Um, and if we could, I think we just need to give a round of applause to Ann for, you know, for just dropping all that data that quickly. I've been on the Inks board for about five years now, and I'll tell you right now, like, Anne and Robin could have gone into multiple points of detail on almost every page, probably know every stat that's in there, and then have two to three stories about why that stat matters. And as someone who's been an educator for all of my professional life, I have just a, a lot of admiration and respect for what both Robin and Anne bring to the table, as well as the advanced team. So another round of applause for everybody. Okay, so the experts, right, the superstars of this show are right to my right. And so it's an honor, really, to be with the three of you. So I just want to say thank you for sharing this stage with me. I have some questions that the advanced team has prepared for us. And so we're going to talk about those. But then, audience, we're going to also want some of your participation, all right? So start thinking about some questions, and we're going to make sure to get into that with you all to get some thoughts. I think we're going to start with the teacher of the year, Brianna Morales over here. I mean, that's a pretty big, that's a pretty big accomplishment. Um, so, obviously, you spend your day, right? You spend your time in classrooms, and you love young people, and you probably love this profession. Can you just talk about like some of the challenges that come up? with teacher vacancies or when we might not have teachers in the building. What does that look like for you and your peers on a day-to-day -day basis? Yeah, 
Um, so for those of you who don't know me, I teach at Gordon Bush Alternative Center in East St. Louis District 189. And so understanding um, the socio-political context of East St. Louis and the impetus for us to be having high-quality expert teachers in front of some of our most vulnerable learners, this is um, a topic that I'm very passionate about. Um, specifically in alternative education, we know that this is a silo area already where many of those students do not have teachers who are um, fully certified in front of them. Um, but then thinking about how the teacher shortage affected um, also our ability to provide substitute teachers for our students, um, we came to a point during the pandemic where there were no substitute teachers um, taking jobs at our school at all. And so while we may only have at our alternative school um, a rolling enrollment of about 150 students, those are students from grades 5 through 12 who have significant stress and trauma in our community and also are coming into alternative settings who need additional supports. And so it's very imperative that they have qualified teachers in front of them every day and someone like a substitute to stand in when their teacher may need a break or when there was a shortage. And so thinking about um, also time on task for students in urban areas um, when they are then in um, gym for an extra hour when there is no substitute teacher or teachers are taking multiple classes of students into their own leading to um, fewer seats for learners to be sitting in also leading to less time on task because students are cramped in one class with one teacher who cannot effectively reach and teach 60 students at a time. Um, and so I think that it's really um, important when we look at the data that was provided in the report, thinking about the um, numbers of low income and black students specifically who are without high quality teachers in front of them or the percentage of those students who are in districts where um, there are a high number of vacancies um, like mine. I don't know um, if you all were ready for that comprehensive of an answer. <laughs> we could tell we could tell why you won Teacher of the Year. Um, I have a follow up to that, Brianna, and then, but also I want to open that follow up to the rest of the panelists. Um, in the data, and Anne talked about this, and in the report, it mentions the fact that paraprofessionals is a role, right? That we're, that is really important. And for those of us that have been educators or have advocated for young people, we know what that is. But we've got some folks who love education but might not be as close to us. And so, Brianna, you want to talk a little bit, and then obviously Dr. Patterson, you know, representative, if you want to speak to this, the role of the paraprofessional and why those folks are essential, right, in, in a really high-quality school. Yeah. Um, so I think specifically with um, the demographic of students that I teach, it is so important, and we have tried for several years now to provide all teachers in our alternative setting in our district with a paraprofessional or a teacher's aide in every single classroom, understanding that the students who are in this place, um, they were placed in an alternative setting for a reason. They may have um, different needs than students in traditional public settings, and so all students should have paraprofessionals in their schools to be able to meet the needs of that they have and to help with the lagging skills. Um, but specifically, um, paraprofessionals, I think, like in our district, we have been able to employ m more paraprofessionals with the SR dollars, but then understanding that we're about to come to the cliff where the funding is running out, um, the demand was already not met when we look at the data. Um, and so the amount of teachers that we are 
teachers' aides or paraprofessionals that we have been able to bring into the fold to help those students um, work through um, maybe some of those um, developmental needs that they have, um, social-emotional needs that they are placed in our setting for, um, those supports are um, likely going to go away when we do not have the funding to pay for them anymore. And so I'm thinking about many of my students who work one-on-one with those paraprofessionals every single day. Um, Just to give you a picture of the local context, um, I teach 11th and 12th grade English, and a majority of my students read between a third and fifth grade level. And so understanding the importance of the support of a paraprofessional in the classroom, working alongside those students to help them to be able to access um, grade level content and um, meet their full potential academically, um, paraprofessionals um, are our greatest partners in education. I would concur with that. (laughs) The only thing I would add, um, and that's an excellent response, Brianna, the only thing I would add is I think that it is imperative that students have people to connect with in the building, not just their teachers. So not only do paraprofessionals provide support for teachers, they provide support for students in developing relationships, which are critical for them to be successful in life. And I'll I'll just thank Brianna uh, for serving in East St. Louis, which is my home community where my family is. Yes. And I also want to just simply add that um, the what we saw in COVID, COVID revealed a whole lot of things. And for us, certainly paraprofessionals, we want to invest. That's why we did the EBF. Right. But we want that EBS funding to serve those gap needs. What we didn't do is say you must spend it on this. Right. We gave that to local school districts so that they would say, here's our needs in our school district. And this is how we like to fill them. Hopefully over time. And I appreciate Advance Illinois for this. Because legislators, we have a very difficult time passing a law and tracking it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> we can't do both of those things. Right. So we do really lean on Advanced Illinois and other organizations like that to do the tracking for us, and the reports are necessary for us to say, oh, we got a gap here. We need to fill this gap. Right. The paraprofessional sh- today is experiencing, unfortunately, a structural problem in the economy where it's, hey, it's, I could go work at, Walmart for $16 an hour then at my school district for $16 an hour and have to deal with what I know. Of course, I used to work in alternative school, so I know how difficult that can be. But we're making the decision for them when we don't invest into a living wage for paraprofessionals. Let me just say that. Representative, well said. Um, I mean, I think one of the things that Advance continues to highlight is that we know when we make investments in K-12 education, we get long-term returns and dividends on those. The data is clear about that. And that, to your point, is why what the data that both Robin and Ann and the team share helps us make the case of why we need an EBF. Dr. Patterson, I'm going to come to you. you know, as a superintendent and now, you know, at ISBE, I'm sure a lot of these initiatives, you know, stand out to you and, and kind of touch you personally and professionally. Is there one that you think is this really, like, this one brings the most impact, the most bang for its buck? Ooh, okay, I get a challenging question. <laughs> um, yes, so I would say it would be tied. I think that when we talk about a teacher shortage, we're talking about an equity issue. Um, equity is important to me. Uh, the teacher 
feature vacancy grant. So we have 3,550 vacancies in the state of Illinois, teacher vacancies. Uh, 79% of our 852 districts are stating that they have at least one teacher vacancy. But 60% of our minority students are in those schools Mm. with those vacancies. Mm. So it is just imperative that we continue to focus on ensuring that we provide the the support where it's needed. I have advocated as a a former superintendent, I advocated um, and I've testified for advance for evidence-based funding. Um, I saw the, the proceeds of that in the district that I ran for 12 years because we saw an increase of $2 million in our budget. That $2 million dollars allowed us to hire additional teachers, that allowed us to hire literacy coaches, that allowed us to hire technology coaches. Um, the, the stance is really, this is my passion. Every student in this state deserves an excellent education regardless of where they live and where they reside. And that's just not occurring to date. So the challenge, our our imperative is to ensure that whether you're in South Cook, West Cook, Central Illinois, Chicago, wherever you are in this state, you we need to be able to provide the absolute best and the, the, an, an excellent education and resources for every single student in the state of Illinois. Oh. That's just my passion. We can see it's about to get a little, uh, you know, a little warm in here. <laughs> well, not, to, not to stoke that fire, Dr. Patterson, but Brianna kind of spoke to the fact that she's a, she teaches juniors and seniors and that a decent, you know, amount of the young people that she serves are reading below grade level. Dr. Patterson, you talked about what EBF did was, as a superintendent, as an administrator, allowed you to make sure that your schools had additional literacy coaches. Again, for those of us in the know, we understand why that position is so crucial. But do you want to just dive in on like either a literacy coach or additional support staff, what that means when it comes to differentiating supports for students that might not be at grade level? So, and, and Brianna absolutely can speak to this. So there, there are a lot of initiatives and mandates on teachers' plates today in 2023. Um, so every support that they can receive is critical in ensuring that students are successful in the classroom. So when we talk about literacy coaches or we talk about instructional coaches, um, those are individuals who are able to either push in for instruction or pull out. Um, and it allows additional instructional minutes to be taught to the student so that we can shore up those deficits. It's not going to occur just in within the regular school day. There are additional resources that we have to have in place in order for students to be successful. And so when we talk about spending money and Representative Ammons, you're right, we, we, you gave the LEAs the, mm-hmm. the opportunity to, to do what they thought was best, but that was wonderful. That one. <laughs> that one. When we talk about um, spending money, it's just critical to put the money where you're going to see the biggest growth when it comes to student efficacy and student knowledge retention achievement. That's right. And that, that's what those dollars assist in. And if I, if I can add to Dr. Look, this is really, um, I know everybody in this room is brilliant. But it's not hard to see. I represent Urbana-Champaign. Shout out to the university table over there. 
Um, I represent the University of Illinois, and we just went through the admissions data for African-American students to the University of Illinois, Urbana-Champaign specifically. It's no wonder to me that we're having difficulty at the College of Education, at engineering, at business, right? Because if the students can't read at grade level, exactly whether we remove the admission test or not will be irrelevant. Mm -hmm. Because even if we put them on the campus, they won't have the tools necessary to succeed. And that puts, of course, the university in a bad position and puts all of us in a bad position. We are at, I believe, a critical juncture. We're doing some amazing work in Illinois. We are leading. I'm presenting one of our bills at the end of this year at the National Conference. We're doing amazing work. No question about that. But is all of the work we're doing translating into the success we want. And the evaluation part of this is where we kind of, you know, go off the rails when it's time to evaluate the success of the program. No one wants to say it's not successful, right? But at some point, we have to do a little bit like turn the wheel and reverse if that ain't working. If that, as a legislator, I don't want to invest funds where it ain't working. Okay. I want to invest funds where there's new innovative suggestions, ideas to make this work. We can't have students at a high school level reading at third and fourth grade level. We know where they're going if that's how they're reading. Mm-hmm. So this is crisis mode in my estimation when I look at the numbers and I look at the admission data across all of our publics when I'm looking at my brother who's a principal, my sister who's a principal and in order for them to remain that way they have to continuously pay, 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 pay we have a, we have a real crisis yet we're not responding like this is a crisis and in my estimation if I need more principals, then I got to open the door so they don't have to have $75,000 in debt to become one. That's right. That's true. I have to open those doors because if I don't have principals, I can't run schools, I can't serve students and teachers, right? This all rolls together. And I think we're not opening the right can so that we can analyze that can. Come on, man. Right now. <laughs> I love Surreal. <laughs> It's, it's Thursday, starting to feel like Sunday. <laughs> um, but you, you spoke to a thing, Representative. When Brianna said that she was from East St. Louis, you immediately called out the boogie, right? You immediately oh, okay. called out that you're from East St. Louis. And so I, I threw the boogie in there just to see who was paying. See who knows. Okay. <laughs> um, but what we see is that representation matters by that nice. statement. And so, you know, one of the things I wanted to ask you, I know you have been passionate about diversity in education. And as, again, Anne shared some of that data, there are some things that are going well. I you know, wanted to hear your thoughts about that as far as diversity in the space. But I also want to hear, like, what do you think we need to do better on top of, one, making it accessible that you just spoke to on the financial side? You know, I think it's really... Um it's amazing. Again, Illinois is leading in so many areas, it's hard to critique that which is good. But we're trying to get to great. And moving from good to great is sometimes a little painful. I, I believe that we are doing a good job speaking to the issue, researching that issue, providing the data for legislators to really be able to um, handle what is actually happening on the ground. To get to great, though, We have to really redefine what equity actually means from the actual lens from which it sits. What are we lacking? 
Every school I go to, we are lacking black professionals, black principals, black teachers. We have them in paraprofessional positions 90% of the time. So how do I get? I need black teachers. My sister was a teacher and now she's a principal. My brother was a teacher, he's a principal. What we need actually is to help them get through this pipeline to become so that you can address your equity issue. But you can't take equity and say, we need equity, we need inclusion, and then run away from the area where you need the most inclusion at. That's what I see happening on the scale. When we start talking about DEI, we talk about it in a vacuum as if we're actually solving the problem. We're not solving the problem because you hired Dr. Patterson to run a DEI program. It only works if she actually increases DEI. (laughs) Otherwise, it's not successful. So to me, it's like you got to go to where the injury is. You need to plug that injury gap and then allow for healing to take place. Mm -hmm. Meaning the person who is a paraprofessional today don't always have to be one. The CNA can move from CNA to RN if we help them. But we have to provide a mechanism to help them get from here to over here, and we may have some tools in the state that we haven't activated yet that I hope that we will activate here in the coming days. You know, Brianna, Representative, you just broke that down pretty clearly. Brianna, can you talk about what diversity and what having more diverse educators, paraprofessionals, and support staff in the building feels like right on the ground? Yeah, um, so I'm a graduate of um, Township District 211, um, all the way in the northwest part of the state. Um, and what we know about um, diversity right now, as it currently is, um, Hoffman Estates High School is the third most diverse high school in the state of Illinois, and it was not when I went to high school. Um, and now I teach in a district much the same, but on the opposite side. Um, mm-hmm. East St. Louis is a predominantly black district um, where many of our students actually do have black um, paraprofessionals and black teachers. And but um, over 90% of students in uh, District 189 are African-American, which would be a um, research-based definition of an apartheid district, um, where most of the students are of the same race. And so there is little diversity where I teach as well, similar to where it was when I was in high school, um, where the demographics were mostly um, white. It is mostly um, students who um, have never met or do not have experience working with professionals that do not look like them. And so myself as a... Um, Latinx educator, um, my culture and um, ensuring that students of all backgrounds have the opportunity to appreciate diversity from um, all walks of life is something that I do not believe is being afforded to my students, specifically in District 189. Um, I was um, an affinity group facilitator um, in partnership with Teach Plus Illinois and um, the Illinois State Board of Education last year, and it was an amazing um, transformative experience for me. Um, I worked um, running affinity groups for Latinx and black educators in Region 5 of the state, and so we pushed into four um, regional districts around District 189, Um, but even then, um, despite us touching four regional districts, I only ever met one other Latinx teacher. And so when we think of um, silo areas and um, one-of-ones in many um, of our districts, we have so many of our students who will never have a black educator um, their entire school experience, and similar is to many other backgrounds that our students do not have the experience or exposure to, um, which means that our students are going out into 
into the world um, with an incomplete worldview, and they do not know mm. what that's like to appreciate diversity or the beauty of um, working with and collaborating and learning from um, people who um, are from different places and have different perspectives in them. And so teacher diversity, um, professional diversity for our students um, is so imperative. And so I think that the initiatives that we have to bring more um, teachers of color into the profession are um, definitely commendable, but we need to stop talking about um, recruiting more teachers of color before we are putting the impetus on retaining the teachers of color that we already have. So, Shane, may I speak to that for just a moment? So the Illinois State Board of Education has a few programs, and and that is absolutely true. Um, We've added 500 um, black and Latinx teachers to our teaching force, 1.2% increase. There is an increase. Uh, We have put state-funded, we've put $45 million in our teacher vacancy grant. Um, We have an ask uh, from the legislators to ensure... That that is funded for the next three years. We have 170 districts that are participating, um, and we have been purposeful. The the agency has been purposeful about looking at how the monies are spent. And so monies are being spent in growing uh, teachers growing paraprofessionals into teachers, um, growing people within those those. Uh, districts in those schools so that they can become teachers. So I just want to make sure that I put that out there in addition to our CTE funding. Um, so we've created a pathway for at least 10,000 future educators. So I just need the room to know and understand that the Illinois State Board of Education is absolutely on top of and realizing the fact that we've got to do more, but we want to also stop and say we have we are making progress because I think that that is important. It's, I hear you saying it's really like that both end, right? Being able to celebrate the improvement yes. at the same Absolutely. time. Absolutely. Look at the brutal facts of the things that face us. Um, one of the questions that they definitely wanted me to ask, and then audience start getting ready because we're going to start coming to you in a second. Uh, Dr. Patterson, for you, you know, and you have this great, your professional career has been great because obviously you've been in schools, over schools, and now you're at the state level making sure that all schools at the state have access. When we think about federal funds and the ESSER funds running out, in fiscal year 25, and we think about all the support that we've been able to offer individually and at the schoolhouse level based on those emergency funds, what, are, you know, what do we need to think about, right? How can we try to fill that gap, or what do we need to be putting on the horizon so we can continue some of the supports that we've been offering our young people after the pandemic and, and really during the pandemic? So there are So as you can imagine, Dr. Sanders, our state superintendent, and I have participated in a lot of different meetings where the ask is great for a lot of wonderful programs that we currently have. Um, We are still engaging in discussion and conversation with the field um, so that we are able to prioritize what we're able to sustain um, and what, of course, matters most which is student success, student achievement. Um, we've got some wonderful programs that we currently have um, that we're looking at avenues of ways of being creative to continue the funding. Um, but if I must, if I may be just so so blunt and so honest, at the end of the day, um, the federal government just needs to provide more monies mm-hmm. um, into 
the field of education is specifically to Illinois. And of course, I've got a, a specific ask because I am in the greatest state and we are making the most growth when it comes to educate to educating students and having um, a, a, an excellent relationship with our teachers and promoting our teachers. Um, so there, those are still discussions and conversations that are ongoing. I'll ask that. And so that's a call, right? That's a nationwide call, not just probably for Illinois, but really across the 50 states to say, if we're going to address a two and a half year, once in 100 year situation, where some of our young people were out of school for maybe just eight to nine months, but some of our young people might have been out of school for a year and a half too. Some of our young people have a, you know, the biggest Mac screen you can possibly find in their bedroom, and some of our young people are sharing an iPad with two brothers and sisters while mom was working full time and getting virtual instruction. If we're going to address that, not just in Illinois, but in Rhode Island, but in Kentucky, you're making the advocacy call that the federal government needs to step up. And we know that the McKinsey report from, I think it was spring 22, has some pretty dire projections of what may lie ahead for our young people 10, 15, 20 years out as far as lifetime earnings, right, educational attainment, yep. Um, so it's, it's, it's definitely something we need to do. So before we switch to the questions then from the audience, just Brianna, Representative, you know, anything else that you want to make sure you speak on before we jump to these questions, Anne? I just, I just want to add a little bit of a, a Sankofa moment here. Um, Black students were doing t- difficulty. They were having a difficult time before COVID. And I, I think that is, it's important for us not to frame this moment in the last two years as if it has done something new. Black student achievement has been on a decline for over a decade or more. And we're closing a gap from 1954, Brown versus Board Education, and the backlash of Brown, to 1965, Dr. King's work in 1960s to just get equity on the table for black citizens. And education is part of that critical lever, because if you go back historically, you'll see that COVID actually revealed what was already the current in the process. And now we speak in terms of post-COVID as, it's, as if it's the timeline starting point right. when it is not. That's right. That's right. And educators and researchers have to be a little more honest about this. That's right. And I appreciate uh, Dr. Javed Siddiqui at Hunt Institute who brought this issue up. Just recently, he and I were on a piece together. And he said, we have to look at this in a broader context. We were all alive for the most part, for most of us, <laughs> at least alive in the 70s when all of this began to manifest from 1954's board to to the 70s where we said black students weren't able to get into colleges and universities at that time. Mm. And here we are having a Sankofa moment with the Supreme Court's rebuttal of the access point for black students. So what does that mean in the larger 100-year span of time that we're addressing this in? We're not addressing this in the last two or three years of COVID. And I think that that clouds what actually should be done to bring about true equity, inclusion, and diversity and inclusion. That clouds it when we don't look at it from a broader perspective and what policies create, right? Because these are all creations of policy, 
or judicial. It's legislative or judicial that creates this climate of exclusion. And we, legislators and executive and judicial, have to come together, ban, and say, no, 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 no. They may have said that there, but in Illinois, we're not having it. Right? right? We're right. not having it. We just went from East St. Louis to the West Coast of Africa. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Just for, you know, on the Sankofa side, there's the Sankofa. The Sankofa bird is, you know, a symbol in West. To look back. Right, to look back as you go forward. That's right. Right, you can't go forward unless you look back and study your history all the way to downtown Chicago. So, um, man, and then you hit us with 100 years of systematic oppression. And, okay, all right. I mean, I. Okay. Oh, yep. Um, so I know I'm getting that look, Amanda. Yep, yep, yep. So, um, Brianna, anything you wanna you wanna speak on? One point that you wanna touch on before we jump into the audience questions? Yeah. Um, so I identify as an abolitionist educator, um, and I think that many of us here can share those same sentiments. And so, in the words of Dr. Bettina Love, um, who just published a new book, please go buy it. Um, we can conceptualize abolitionist teaching as like the pursuit for educational freedom, right? And so, um, understanding that we are finding camaraderie in this room in the struggle together for a more just world for our students. Abolitionist teaching and education as it should be for our students is not just about tearing down these systems that do not work, but also building new ones that do serve and where our students can thrive. And so when I look at the data of people who, you know, maybe they do have principal certifications, they're not moving into those roles, or our very um, beloved veteran educators who may have made the um, sad choice to leave the profession, um, when things were not working, it's because we're reverting, continuing to revert sometimes in some of our um, schools to um, systems, policies, procedures, um, ways of knowing of what teaching, learning, and assessment has looked like, like um, a representative has talked about for you know decades now, we're returning to things that have not worked. And so in pursuit of educational freedom, we need to abandon those practices that are not working and are not serving our students and staff so that we can build new school environments where all of our students can thrive. And so I'm really looking forward to this year as Teacher of the Year, I'm utilizing my platform to elevate the possibility of flexible learning environments for our students because also thinking about the staff members who want to see a new world of education for our students and how likely it is that they may stay when we start to change so that they can thrive in those schools as well. I, I got abolitionist education, but you had me with the rest of it. I'm good. Um, okay, so we had some questions in advance. I did that. Um, you see the pun? Okay, that was terrible. That was so bad. All right. But we had some questions in advance, but are there questions from the audience that we'd like to take? We probably have at least time for one or two. Yep, this young lady right here. Yeah, I can grab that. Okay, fantastic. All right. Okay, this is for Representative Ammons uh, that you mentioned that it's important to help paraprofessionals make the transition into teacher-principal roles. But what does help look like in action, and how do we provide equitable access to this help? You said help? Y- yes. What does help what look does help like? Look like? Help for for the paraprofessionals as they go up oh, okay. the, the career Absolutely. ladder. Um, I, I think we should, any school, and I think we have a great example of this, Um, The National Guard does an amazing job. If you're in the National Guard, you can go to school for free to upscale our service members. We can take that as a model to build a system, as 
our teachers said, we got to build new systems while we're trying to dismantle these old ones that don't work. The paraprofessional should have just a, what is available as a service person in the National Guard that allows them to go to Illinois public universities mm. and colleges for free mm. to upscale. We need to do that. We need to utilize the resources and funds that have been put aside in the Education Trust Fund so that we can make this tangibly available to paraprofessionals in the same way that we did in other fields, in policing, right, in fire. We did these in other fields, but we did not do this in the paraprofessional. We increased the baseline in Illinois for entry student, uh, uh, teachers to come into the field. The baseline salary is still, I think, inappropriate, but we increased it and got a base for the first time. We have an opportunity now to say, what do we need to do to attract those teachers to stay to seven years instead of five? That's right. So we, we tweaking our programs will help us do this, but we got to give a better carrot than Walmart. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Dropping one-liners all day. I'm a one-line queen. <laughs> <laughs> one-liner after one-liner. Like, I don't know if you have a script writer. I don't know what's going on here. But do we have any other questions from the audience? Okay. Okay, fantastic. All right. All right. So first thing I'll say is, can we give this group of panelists a big round of applause? Um, you know, I'm from the... I mean, I'm from the south side of Chicago, right? 75th in exchange originally, right? So I'm no. first in family to graduate from college. There's a backstory on me. I got 19 half-brothers and sisters. I said at 19, right? My father was murdered when I was 12, right? I had to work full-time to pay for college. I became a teacher, then a principal, then a superintendent of the University of Chicago Charter School. I will say this. First of all, I'm not nearly the most talented person I ever ran into on 75th in exchange or anywhere else that I lived. I'm definitely far from the most talented person I ever worked with when I was teaching or principaling. But the only reason, and I mean this for real, the only reason I got here besides a, a mom who is a soldier and a superhero is educators and folks committed to education like these three. And so I just hope, you know, we all walk away with either a specific thing that we could do, a specific ask that we could make, or just feeling a little bit better because we got these three on our side. So (laughs) it's been a pleasure to be a part of this panel. And I'm going to turn it over to this star of the show, Jackie Robinson B. Why this is up here? You're not that short. I know. I was standing on it. I think. Oh, okay. I'm like Shane doesn't need that. Um, Shane, when you're writing your book or writing your movie, um, I'm happy to do a voiceover or whatever it is you might need. Although you probably don't want a woman doing your. uh, Wow. I've said it before, and I will say it again. And Dan kind of started the the whole. forum today in the right frame of mind. There is so much going on in the world, and it really is dark, right? Um, You should have called me, Dan. I was up. We could have had a whole conversation. Um, I was watching MSNBC and flipping back and forth, so we could have all been. But even with the state of that going on, I still say, and I have always said, um, I thank God for Mrs. Jennings. There is nobody in this room who knows who she is. But she was my second grade teacher who... um, I used to do this thing where I wanted to be cool, so I would act like I didn't know 
like certain spelling words or certain answers to problems. And she called me on. Did you guys meet me on purpose? No, of course. I know way too much about dead and live mics. I sing at church on Sunday morning, so we're, we're real careful with, with, with live mics, right? Um, I just thought Kenny and them were messing with me. But, so she used to call me on the carpet because she wanted me to reach my potential. And I say to this day, I thank God for Miss Jennings. And she pushed me, and I was kind of like, wait, why are you in my video? I got a thing going. I'm trying to be cool here. <laughs> and I was the only person that looked like me in my school. Maybe I should say that again. The only person that looked like me in my school for three, four years, something like that. And um, I went to an open classroom. How many educators and paraprofessionals remember that? Yeah, so you know, we're all a little special. Everybody went to an open classroom. We're a little special. Um, and um, I- I'm just grateful for that. And I've often said, if you've had a conversation with me, Teachers do it. They bring it. They know the data. They know everything. Chanel, you're going to have to sit down and explain some of this stuff to me because I don't understand it. Um, But it's so important to get the nose out. I was texting one of my friends who's a principal, and I was like, did you know such and such and such and such? Mm -hmm. And she's like, yeah, I knew that, and so on. So this conversation is going to continue. Dan said that earlier today. Um, You will often hear us say at City Club, and you probably can quote it with me now, that Dan says, more to come. This can this kind of, and Sneaky, you can continue to be the welcome committee if you'd like. Happy to have you continue to welcome us. This conversation will continue. Brown versus board, board turns seventy this year. Mm-hmm. Wrap your head around that. Mm-hmm. Seventy, right? And I haven't talked to Dan and Amanda yet, but we're going to have a program and probably have some people here. Okay, is that all right? Can we? Yeah. Wonderful. Um, so. That I say all that to say, we're not finished with this conversation. And um, Dan had said we can't solve everything in one in one sitting. We know that from universities to uh, where do they start? Like preschool now? With yes. you know, it's like it, you, where do, do you have to start in the womb? You know, talking to the baby to say, yes. I mean, yes. it's just hard, right? <laughs> I'm hearing all the educators saying yes, yes, yes. Um, I don't know nothing about birth and babies, but I do know, you know, a little bit about putting on forums and things. And I do think that it's so important. Um, thank you to every teacher. And when I say teacher, I mean all of the paraprofessionals, the educators, the, the lunch lady, the, the, the secretary in the cafeteria, my music teacher, my coaches. Um, thank you to everyone who takes a part in any sort of it. The policymakers, um, ISBE, all of you all. This is the real work. Because if you don't, Representative said it better than everybody else. You guys did a great job, but you said, if we don't do that beforehand work, what are we doing? I think my son, and I live in Oak Park, Illinois, I think my son's first male teacher of color was his teacher in college, and he went to an HBCU. So I think, I'm not sure, so don't anybody from Oak Park come for me in that. But (laughs) the reality of it is, and I don't care if you're black, white, purple, polka dot, you've got to have people, kids cannot be what they cannot see. And that teacher makes all the difference in the world. My music teacher, my history teacher, and my coach knew when there was something wrong with me Mm -hmm. before anybody else. 
they were like, you're having an off day. What's going on? So you can't tell me that there's not a difference that the teachers and educators make. So when I say teachers, I mean all of you all. Um, to Shane, you're awesome. Representative Ammons and um, Dr. Kamiko Patterson and Brianna. I love that abolitionist educator. Mm. That's pretty cool. You should you should patent that before somebody takes it. No, Bettina Love. You oh, okay. <laughs> Is she in the room? No. Okay. No, but it's important to, to, to give black scholars. Okay, Bettina, you get the. I don't know who you are and where you are, but you get the credit for that. Um, Again, I'm assuming that um, this is online somewhere? Yes. Okay, so it can be shared online as well, right? Wonderful. I'm asking everybody to, to read it. I'm going to try to understand it, but Chanel's going to help me, so I'm not worried about that. Um, there are so many programs that will be coming up. Um, please, please, please make sure that you watch our webpage, because we do want to hold the conversation here. Um, as you, I always say this, and the church in me comes out, look to your left, look to your right, and this is not how City Club used to look. And Dan and his staff, who deserve all the credit, they should get a, that's where you're supposed to give them a round of applause. They have put in the work to make sure that we're having the tough conversations. And this was a tough conversation. And I think we're not quite done with it yet. You all have um, year memberships. I don't know where they are. I'm, I'm pretty bad about this because I came running in late. Amanda, do you know where they are? Oh. Oh, they're right here. Do you guys remember your mother saying, if I have to come and look for that, I've asked you to find it. And if it was a snake, it would have bit me. Anybody was, is that just me? Oh, okay. President Cullerton was smiling like, yeah, it's just you. <laughs> so each one of you has a membership, a year membership. We hope, man, we hope that you use it. And we hope that you will come back again, not just when you're on the panel, but to be a part of a discussion as well. Um, thank you so much for everyone who is here. Um, am I leaving anything out, Dan? I got everything. Wow, it's pretty good, because usually I forget something. Um, thank you to the Maggiano staff. You guys do a great job. We appreciate you. And and um, until next time, I'm hoping to see everyone in this room again that's here for this conversation, here for our next conversation on education. Thank you so much, and we are adjourned. Thank you.